The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. Report 6. Arendelle. I knew to expect the cold when I entered Arendelle, but nothing could truly prepare me for what I felt when the mists became snow. To say that Arendelle is cold is to say that Harakir doesn't get much rain. I felt an odd resistance when I blinked. It took me a moment to realize that the wind first made my eyes water and then froze my lashes together when I closed them. The Arendellians say that ice has a magic that can't be controlled, stronger than a hundred men, and when I entered the capital city, I believed it. The winter has frozen the homes and hearts of all who live here, and I doubt that any spring will ever come to thaw them. Welcome to Wonderful World of Dark Lords. I'm Tom. I'm Rachel. And we're discussing how to convert Disney movies to Ravenloft Domains of Dread because we've all had Let It Go stuck in our head for nine years, and Elsa must pay. Along the way, we'll look at the Dark Lord, the domain itself, and some plot hooks and adaptation ideas to integrate this setting into your own campaign. Today's episode, Frozen. Yeah, so we are going to be focusing on just Frozen 1 in this one. There might be other ones where we focus on the movie and sequels. But, like, with Frozen 2, with Ada Holland, like, if there's a Dark Lord for that, it's their grandfather. Yeah, he's not even in the first movie. So. Right, right. And the first movie is, it's a tighter story. Mm-hmm. It's a more focused setting with mm-hmm. Arendelle, which is the name of our domain. I don't have to do something weird. Yeah. I don't have to make up a name this mm-hmm. month. It's Arendelle. And there's just a lot more emotional resonance focusing on our main characters, our sisters. Mm-hmm. Because the whole point of 2 is they've kind of, like, overcome this initial like, trauma, and that's not good for our purposes. Yeah. There might be something with Otto Holland at a future date, we might say. You know, I mean, it even is, like, this land that, because of the original sin of someone, is locked in mists forever. Like, we we haven't rewatched Frozen 2 in a while. We would have to do that if we wanted to, like, go back and really dig into it as a setting. But it would be a completely different domain from Arendelle, so we're just Frozen 1-ing it today. Right. As you could probably pick up from our little intro joke, we had a son who was just about the right age to have (laughs) frozen fever. Not the short frozen fever, but the condition of wanting to watch Frozen again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So it is a movie that has occupied quite a lot of our mind, our headspace over the years. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, yeah, we watched Frozen many times. (laughs) So this is one we're excited to dive into because Frozen's a good movie, but neither of us totally totally loved the ending reveal mm-hmm. the spoiler alerts for a nine-year-old movie that literally everyone on the planet has seen <laughs> that the hans reveal as a villain like didn't quite work like we could both picked up that which is something we found out later to be true that there were drafts of the story where elsa was much more the villain and it felt like some of that was still there, but kind of unresolved. And hey, what a perfect setup for us to do an AU where we can take those kind of threads of villainy and we can make Elsa our villain. Yeah, so <clears throat> that does mean we are going to be doing a you know, bit of a content warning for this one with your Elsa-loving children. If you are listening to this with your kids in the room and your daughter has been Elsa for the past three <laughs> Halloweens, maybe yeah, put yeah. in your earbuds for this one or this something. This isn't a great one for yeah. that person. And also, we know that we just had Jack Skellington as our Dark Lord in the previous episode. We promise mm. next episode the actual villain is going to be the Dark Lord of the Domain. We're not going to do this every time. <laughs> Secretly, Snow White's the Dark Lord. Yes. Cinderella's the Dark Lord. 
I mean, in Daemon Luke, she basically yeah, is. Right. But also, I know that Elsa is, you know, once again, kind of like with Encanto, that Elsa is a character that even adult fans sometimes really have glommed onto. You know, she does have a huge queer following. There was, we, we watched the documentary about the making of Frozen 2, and there were people talking about how Let It Go really got them through dark times in their life and everything. And, yeah, again, if that's you... You might want to give this a pass because Elsa is going to be pretty evil in it. And I know a lot of people are very specifically invested in her relationship with Anna, and we're kind of giving that a bit of a dark twist. And so, but it is still her yes. emotional, like heart and centerpiece. So. Just like content warning. If, content warning. Yeah. If, if Elsa and Anna are uh, characters that really speak to you and really matter to you and really kind of have a relationship that's powerful to you. Or to any little kids that are listening, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is maybe not the best episode yeah. for them uh, or uh, for you. At least, you know, tread carefully. We don't want to say don't listen to our show, but at least put up your emotional armor. <laughs> so we mentioned our Dark Lord is Elsa. And as you can imagine, this is one of those episodes where we are doing the sort of dark AU. We're mm-hmm. not just... Like with Lion King, we're not just kind of pausing the movie and doing it. It's not even like Peter Pan where we're basically doing the story as is, but with certain implications, certain twists. This is a full-on, like, the last 20 minutes of Frozen were different, darker, and that gets us our Dark Lord. So let's talk a little bit about our Dark Lord in the section we like to call The Lord. The Lord. Arendelle was not always locked in ice and snow. His troubles began years ago at Queen Elsa's coronation. The people call her an ice witch, although from my research, I do not believe her to be a literal winter hag. She's far too powerful for a hag without a coven. It seems more likely that she's some form of water genasi or elemental sorcerer. Arendelle has been cut off from the outside world for years, and Elsa herself was something of a recluse until her coronation, giving her little access to outside channels of arcane study and making an elemental heritage more likely. At any rate, an altercation with her sister, Princess Anna, caused Elsa to unleash her powers and plunge the domain into eternal winter before secreting herself away on the North Mountain. When Anna attempted to confront her, Elsa froze her sister to solid ice, then loosed an even greater blizzard upon the realm, ostensibly to punish them for her sister's death, although it seems that Elsa alone bears the burden of guilt for it. To this day, Elsa remains locked in her palace, freezing anyone foolish enough to approach her. Unfortunately, as the shortage of supplies in the capital city drives the Arendellians farther and farther afield to forage, they inevitably infringe upon her solitude and face her wrath. With both members of Arendelle's royal family either corrupted or dead, rulership has fallen upon Anna's widower, King Hans, whose connection to the beloved murdered princess gives him incredible popularity. Some whisper that Hans resents becoming king at the very moment the once prosperous Arendelle became nothing worth ruling over, but if that is the case, I doubt anyone can blame him. Particularly since, regardless of titles, all know that Elsa is the true queen as long as winter reigns. So Elsa is our Dark Lord. Rachel, what is a Dark Lord? Well, a Dark Lord is an evil being who commits some kind of evil act called an act of ultimate darkness that catches the attention of the Dark Powers and makes them say, Oh, well, hello, friend. And the Dark Powers then draw them into a domain that is a special hell tailor-made just for them. So we're going to briefly run through the most famous and the first of the Dark Lords, Strahd. We're going to talk about the four qualities that we think make a great Dark Lord and separates the really awesome Dark Lords from the B-listers. <laughs> And then we're going to describe how those qualities fit Elsa and didn't really fit Hans, which is why we're going with Elsa yeah, instead. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the first quality is that act of ultimate darkness. Strahd killed his brother because he wanted to get with his brother's fiance. The second quality is the torment. Since this is a Disney podcast, we call it you got what you wanted, you lost what you had. In Strahd's case, he gets power, he gets eternal youth, his brother's out of the way, but it doesn't matter that his brother's out of the way because so Yana. The third is an element of tragedy or relatability. They're not just evil for the sake of evil. There's some part of them we sympathize with. And in Strahd's case, it's that unrequited love is just the worst. And then the last one is that the domain reflects the Dark Lord in some way. It reflects their curse and also their personality. So in Strahd's case, it reflects his personality and then it's dark, it's gothic, it's vampire land with all the, the wolves and fog and everything. You know, he's not in some kind of like twisted jungle like Valachan or whatever. <laughs> That'd be weird. Exactly. And it also is full of all these just frightened peasants who aren't truly an equal to him and who aren't truly interesting to him because since he chose to kill his brother, he chose to be lonely for his entire own life. So... Elsa fits these very well. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, there's the obvious, like, Elsa's this heroic character, this great character, but making her a villain. And honestly, the main reason is because she fits these qualities, these traits she so well. She really does. And as Rachel said, so much better than Hans. Mm -hmm. So first we have our act of ultimate darkness, and this is our AU divergence point. So in the movie, Elsa has been captured. She's leaving. She wants to just go off in the mountains. She says to Hans, take care of my sister. And then Hans says that she killed Anna. That Anna is dead. It's Elsa's fault. She froze her. So she collapses in on herself with grief. And in our version, she reacted with a different emotion. In our version, she reacted with pure rage. So she just ice blasted half the castle. Dozens of people died, just like frozen, solid into ice, shatter when you touch. The whole like square was suddenly like Siberia in the, in the coldest day of winter and so then we never had that moment where in her grief her tears melt Anna she did take the frozen Anna she assumes Anna's dead she didn't see her die she didn't have that moment where Anna throws herself in front of Elsa then freezes she just finds Anna frozen she assumes it is her fault and then Hans was telling the truth she takes Anna back to her castle but that she never has that grief toward Anna that is that act of love which unfreezes Anna, which melts the frozen heart. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, when we were talking about this, we started just naturally connecting it to another absolutely fabulous movie in the Disney Pixar milieu, which is Inside Out. Which that, you know, she doesn't let herself feel that grief. She moves right on to anger, fear, and disgust. Yes. <laughs> and that's let, letting herself feel that grief, letting herself acknowledge her feelings and kind of acknowledge her humanity is the thing that lets her, like, admit how much Anna means to her, admit how much she loves her, admit how much she means to her, admit that she wishes she had built a snowman with her. And she's turning to the in some ways, much more satisfying emotion of anger because we, we would all kind of rather, like, sit around and seethe over ways we've been hurt than cry, right? It's just... Right. Blame other people. Mm -hmm. Blame the people of Arendelle for being afraid of her and sort of triggering all of this mm -hmm. and punishing them for that and that being the way that she is handling her grief as opposed to just letting herself weep over Anna. Yeah. So she's taken Anna. She's taken the frozen Anna that's back in her big ice castle on the North Mountain. And we are 
are imagining that she is planning to thaw. She is hoping to thaw Anna. And she doesn't know that the only way to thaw Anna is to confront her guilt, ask for forgiveness, and weep over her. And just kind of let herself feel that guilt and that grief, not only for having frozen her, but for all of the years of keeping her out. To kind of accept the error she made in pushing Anna away all those years. But she's a dark lord, so she's not going to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, like, only love can thaw the frozen heart, so she has to show how much she loves Anna by burning down everything that stands between her and getting Anna thawed, right? So we are imagining that she is actually... (laughs) This is is what we're talking about with getting pretty dark uh, with Elsa. She is taking people from Arendelle if they go too far away, if, if they're foraging for food or firewood or just... They're, they're too far from the group. Then she captures them, she takes them back to her ice palace, and she freezes them because she needs to have people to experiment on to learn how to thaw people. And she is so glad she did that because the first time she tried that, she just melted them into a puddle and right. imagine if that had been on us. So it's good that it happened to someone who didn't matter. And we'll talk about this more in the setting section. But she has actually gotten to the point where she can semi-thaw people. She can freeze them and then thaw them, but they're ice zombies. Mm -hmm. So she hasn't ever fully restored someone yet, but she's still working on it. So, as mentioned, pretty dark. I'm sorry if you're wearing an Elsa t-shirt right now. (laughs) If you were like, I know they're dropping at Frozen today. Oh boy. (laughs) I'll have my mug and my shirt and my doll and... And then you look at their t-shirt and go, you're, you're a monster. We couldn't, we couldn't do our 12 days of Frozen because we don't have all of that stuff. But we, we see you. We've out Right. We know you're out there. Yeah. And hopefully listen to our podcast. Leave a five-star review. <laughs> S- subscribe. <laughs> Even though you hate us right now. Right, yeah. But on the way out. That'll show us. So we kind of have a double-sided act of ultimate darkness. There's the very external. She kills a bunch of innocent people. <laughs> and continues to have this very vengeful and very brutal an attitude toward the people of Arendelle. So that darkness externally continues. And the sort of internal act of ultimate darkness, the kind of making the hell of her own creation in her heart, is the refusing to acknowledge her guilt and her grief and refusing to just feel sorrow for what she did. Refusing to kind of see this responsibility, instead lashing out externally. Mm-hmm. I think Rachel right now is thinking the same thing I'm thinking. If you are uh, going to mark your Kohler generational nerd thing, there's the Gargoyles animated series character Demona. <laughs> And that whole idea of this is a person that's made this terrible mistake, but rather than ever admitting that mistake and repenting of that mistake and feeling sorrow for that mistake, blaming it on other people and lashing out at them. Non-stop doubling down and saying that it's other people's fault and that she has to get her vengeance on the other people, but never herself. And so that's Elsa's kind of more demona here, which honestly I could probably find on DeviantArt if I wanted and <laughs> would be a great crossover. <laughs> So then we have our torment. She got what she wanted. She lost what she had. That should be pretty obvious. She has her solitude. She has the thing that most of the movie Frozen, she says she wants and she works to get. She has her solitude. She has her kind of power. She's alone. She's got this army of servants. She's making more marshmallows, more snow golems, more other stuff we'll talk about a little later. She has this total freedom to use her powers. She's away from any kind of judgment. She's away from any kind of condemnation or fear of other people. But she cannot escape her conscience. She cannot escape herself. She has her ice castle. 
But Frozen Anna is there to always remind her that she can't walk away and close the door. Mm -hmm. And we're imagining also she hears in the wind, the wind's howling around, the storm's howling around that never really went away. Arendelle's been choked in winter for years. And in that wind, she hears Anna crying. Mm -hmm. So she has the line when she's sending Anna away. She says, I'm alone, but I'm alone and free. And the idea is she's not alone or free. Mm -hmm. That she has Anna haunting her. She has her guilt haunting her. And she has that weighing, that ev her every waking moment, she has that torment. The element of tragedy and relatability, there's a reason Let It Go took off, and it's not just because it's a really good song and an earworm, it's because it really does express a universal feeling, a desire to be free, a desire to shake off judgment or condemnation of society, to express the inner self you don't feel you can express. So Elsa's already like a very relatable character yeah. for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that none of what we're doing is really out of character. That it's not impossible to imagine things having gone this way. We're not trying to just say, what if Elsa was a psychopath? We're trying to take that moment where Wesselton and Hans and them attack the castle and she's striking back and Hans says, don't be the monster they think you are. And then randomly saves her. Please, yeah. if any of you know why Hans saves her life there, I know Frozen has massive fans who probably right. like have justifications for everything Hans does in this movie. Please, if you have a reason why he doesn't just let her die at that moment, let us know. It's been bothering us for nine years. Nine years, yeah. But at any rate, we're taking that moment in Elsa's kind of personal trajectory and just having that be her Dark Lord self. And also with Let It Go, I've read in a couple places with the we mentioned that Elsa was originally going to be the villain, and they wrote Let It Go as being her villain song, and there are a couple lines in it which you're probably yeah. going to hear later when we're, you know, going through her ideal trait bonded flaw. What? Yeah, that... You can still hear the little traces of the villain song left in there. But they heard it, you know, they played through it, and Dina Menzel sang it, and they thought about just what an empowering song it was. They said, no, we can't make her our villain. But there's still little bits and pieces of that in there. And so that's kind of our tragedy of relatability, but still villainous, is playing up those couple of lines. Right. Let It Go speaks to us, but that can go in a dark place. Mm -hmm. And that's a darkness we can all relate to. And also, even with this torment, I think we can all relate to the idea of doubling down, the idea of refusing to confront mistakes, the temptation of having guilt and wanting to channel that guilt into anger mm -hmm. against other people, as opposed to acceptance and repentance, which is the thing she needs to do to make peace, which you can't do because she's a dark lord. And yes. that's the way Ravenloft works. But it is the thing she did in the movie. Yes, so right. we, can, we can just all hug that version of Elsa and be happy that this is an AU. <laughs> and then finally, the domain reflects the personality. This is another one where this is one of the main reasons we want Elsa mm -hmm. instead of Hans. Because what, like Hans, like what would yeah. that even be? He's an outsider. It's not his home. He has no connection. There's not really any way we see Arendelle reflecting his sort of sociopathy or his betrayal. And it'll be a really weird shift to make it that way. As opposed to, it's frozen. It's mm -hmm. the status of the country and the name of the movie. <laughs> and that reflection, the most obvious ways are externally, but the externals are so strong that this mm -hmm. is this winter, this froze, frozen, this Siberia, this Alaska, this far north polar expedition, freezing cold Icewind Dale kind of setting. And there is also that internal reflection with the idea of the frozen heart. Mm -hmm. That's the thing we keep hearing again and again and again, this concept of the frozen heart. And as we're going to see, that idea of the frozen heart is going to be something... 
that we can build a lot of the horror around, obviously with the cold, but also some of the stuff going on within Arendelle. And also that part of the idea of this version of Elsa, you know, it says only love can thaw a frozen heart. And the most obvious way that that comes into play in the movie is with Anna, you know, that she gets the shard of ice and her heart frozen and she comes back to life again and it's great. But also that Elsa, you know, had that frozen heart when she was kind of hiding away and on herself and everything. And it wasn't until she rejected fear and embraced love that she was able to fully thaw and rejoin the world. And here she didn't do that. She still has that frozen heart. And so Arendelle is still frozen. So as our Dark Lord with a frozen heart, who has frozen the hearts of all the people in Arendelle, as well as the water and air and everything around Arendelle... (laughs) Let's talk about some of the special powers and abilities she gets as Dark Lord. So, Elsa is ridiculously yeah, powerful. Yeah. I mean, like, we find out in Frozen 2 she's basically a goddess, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, for her base stats, I have not read Rime of the Frost Maiden, right. but Tom has. This is one where our job was really easy, mm-hmm. because the main, the boss fight of Rime of the Frost Maiden, to, like, to make things simple, is basically a winter goddess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, this character, Oriel, the Frost Maiden from this adventure, Icewind Dale, colon, Rime of the Frost Maiden. She is described as a lesser goddess of winter, which is a pretty good summary mm-hmm. of Elsa, especially if we're leaning into a little bit of the, the Frozen 2 stuff. But, like, this might be the most physically, magically, like, CR <laughs> Dark Lord we've had. Um, maybe Maleficent, but, like, I'd love to see that fight, but oh, Elsa... Man. If Elsa couldn't take Maleficent, she'd give her a heck of a run for her money. Mm-hmm. And so this is one where I have no problem having our base stats be this kind of weakened goddess of winter. And specifically, there's three kind of incarnations of Oro in the adventure, and we're doing the second one, who's called the Brittle Maiden. Which, once again, I could not have think of a better yeah. like <laughs> title for Elsa than the Brittle Maiden. And that gives her basically all the powers we need, more or less. We have one or two little tweaks, just because we can't leave that section blank on the write-up. <laughs> Oral go. <laughs> Oral has the power that she can create uh, ice methods, but we're adding on the idea that, she, that Elsa can also create snow golems. That gives us the kind of bigger, tougher, more powerful, like marshmallow-style servitors, not just these little sort of evil gremlin Olaf guys <laughs> flying around. Do they have uh, snow golems in 5e, or is that... I believe they are in Rime of the Frostmaiden. Okay, cool. I know I know that they had snow golems, actually, in the older Ravenloft stuff. There were in the Nocturnal Sea, of all things. Wow. Meridoth made them? Yeah. I... <laughs> Everyone loves... It. Does he want to build a snowman? <laughs> no, I believe they introduced them. I know they're in 5e, and I, I'm pretty sure it was in this specific book. So if we're telling you to get stats... Elsa from this book, then you already have, I believe, have access to Snow Gollums. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry we're sending you to another book that doesn't have a single straw in it. It, mm-hmm. it breaks my heart to do this, but here we are. Also, you know, Elsa, she's not just creating the Snow Gollums. She's doing all this stuff with ice. She's making her ice castle. She's skidding along the ice like Bobby Drake. She's doing all kinds of, you know, crazy ice powers. So she can create the ice, and she can also do shape water and control water, except it's ice. Right. At will. So, you know, kind of getting into a, b- a bunch of those. Uh, T just mentioned some stuff about, like, possible, like, elemental water genasi stuff in, in her write-up. And it's... 
Yeah, yeah, but none of it's with water. Like, do all that water elemental mm. stuff, but with ice instead. It's a form of water. Like, we don't need to come up with a new spell for making giant pillars of ice. Mm-hmm. So we can just take control water and be like, this, but it's ice. Yeah. And then finally, we have closing the borders, which, once again, this is like... Frights itself. Right, yeah. you know? So, where is the older Ravenloft domain where the mist is actually snow, which which I love? Yes. It was either Verostikov or Sanguinia. I think it was Verostikov. That which, sounds very snowy. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were, they were like in an island mm. of terror together of okay. like cold snowiness. Um, so, yeah, I, I believe it was Verostikov where the, the mist is the, the snow surrounding it. And you go into the snow and then suddenly it's a whiteout blizzard. And then finally when you step out of the whiteout blizzard, hey, look, you're right back where you walked into it. It's so cool. That, it's like, so cool. You go into the mist from, like, Barovia, and it's getting colder, and then you actually realize you're in, like, a whiteout blizzard. And then, mm-hmm. like, it's a little thinner, and you're out in this new place. So, like Especially if you're transitioning there from something like the Balanox, where it's already going to be really cold. Like, ugh. So, it's that. She does that. Elsa does that. The storm gets so thick. It's a whiteout blizzard. That's the mist around Arendelle. And if Elsa closes it, it just never turns into mist. It's just freezing, cold, whiteout snow. And then you're back where you started. Like, mm-hmm. you can't. It is a blizzard where the wind is so strong and it's so cold. You have to turn back. Yeah. So we also have, for our Dark Lords, in the write-up, we always have the role-playing trait, the ideal, the bond, and the flaw. And in the write-up, in the Van Richten's Guide, they always have those be quotes. And so we got to do that. Mm-hmm. And we can't just make <laughs> up quotes. That would be way too easy. Plus, they'd be kind of silly. And probably out of character. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't be nearly as good as the quotes of the professional writers who yeah, are writing right. this character wrote for them already. So we normally try and find quotes these characters say, or in some cases are said about them, and have that be our quotes for this part of the write-up. Now, in October, we did a poll of if people want us to do this or not and what format is best. It's not October yet. <laughs> not while we're so recording this. we don't know. Because as you know, in October, we were recording it with Fourth of July fireworks. Yes, indeed. So that should so. give you a sense of where we are. <laughs> so if you were like, boo, everyone hates this. Why are they doing this? That's why we're doing this. We don't know that everyone hates it yet. <laughs> and we're going to be doing it the way that we did it for the Nightmare Before Christmas episode in um, Sleeping Beauty and Peter Pan. I found quotes and gave them to Tom. I gave like I gave him, you know, seven or eight quotes, and we figured out which ones we wanted to use and where. But for Nightmare Before Christmas, since Jack Skellington was our Dark Lord and he had roughly yeah, eight right. million songs, a lot of usable quotes. Yeah, uh, we'd just be sitting here listening to be quoting all of Nightmare Before Christmas for an hour, which sounds like a great way to spend right, time. Like, like, but when I listen to Daniel, if you want it to be a bonus said, episode, yeah. then like hit us up. <laughs> Rachel recites Nightmare Before Christmas lyrics for half an hour. I, we'll do it. <laughs> and with this, is a similar thing. It's like, it would be every single lyric from Let It Go and from the reprise of For the First mm-hmm. Time in Forever and some other stuff. So we, just, we found our own quotes. So we're each going to offer, and then we'll kind of talk amongst ourselves which one we think is best. And then you also hear me typing as I write them in their notes <laughs> to put them in a write-up. Remember, as always, write it up. In the Van Richten's Guide style, put it on DM's Guild. It's free. It's in a bundle with all the other write-ups. It's there for you to use if you decide to send your PCs to Arendelle because you also have Let It Go stuck in your head. So, Rachel, why don't you go first? What do you have for role-playing trait? For the role-playing trait, I have it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. That is a really, really good one. 
Especially doing Elsa's kind of doing like some mad science experiment right. stuff. Testing the limits of her powers is one of her big expressions of evil. We have in the movie this very much idea of she's testing the limits of her power. She has all this power she was suppressing before. But this is that untempered by humanity mm-hmm. and untempered by love. So this is that kind of power for its own sake and power without any kind of ethics. That's a really good one. Thank you. I have... Let the storm rage on, the cold never bothered me anyway. I have that for her flaw, because the idea... Yeah, and, and I know we, mm-hmm. we thought that we were agreed on You can on probably guess flaw. what I'm going to do for her flaw, yeah, dear listener. Yeah. So I, I know we, we thought that we were agreed on her flaw, but mm-hmm. I was thinking about it, and I feel like her greatest flaw actually is this, you know... Yeah, especially with, with, with the lead-in for that line being, I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. Cold never bothered me anyway. The idea that she does not care about anyone else. Right. She, the storm is raging. You know, but all is hurting are these people she doesn't I care like about. It. Who cares? The storm never bothered, bothered her anyway. So I, I had that for a flaw. So let the storm. I, I really like that a lot. I'll put that as the flaw. That is really good. Thank you. So, because <laughs> obviously it's like this is... One of those things where with the Dark Lord, their role-playing trait and their flaw are really intimately connected. Mm-hmm. That that's probably the two most strongly connected of these kind of value statements because the whole idea is this is a person defined by their flaw. This is a person defined mm-hmm. by that hell within them. They've created whatever vice, whatever arrogance, whatever pride in them, fear that so great they literally made a metaphysical hell <laughs> that that's also going to very much be defining how you roleplay that character. So your roleplaying trait was... So I can My roleplaying trait was, uh, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and breakthrough. So ideal... We may have the same one here. I think I have a pretty strong candidate. What do you have for ideal? My ideal is probably what you had for your flaw, mm-hmm. which is no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Mm, yes. That absolutely is her ideal. I have a similar variant because in the character, in the different songs, we have this concept of freedom. Mm. But in a lot of the movie, that thing she's chasing is freedom. Mm-hmm. And the idea that she wants to be her true self, that's freedom, and she believes the only way to do that is to be alone. So speaking of alone and free, my <laughs> ideal is, yes, I'm alone, but I'm alone and free. Oh, that's good, too. Right. Yeah. We, we, we were talking, listeners, uh, that when we were when we were talking about the trait, bond, flaw, etc., we were both joking about how clearly we're going to have exactly the same flaw, right. because this ideal was what I had down as her flaw until the moment I started writing it down and remembered that lead-in line for... The storm raging on cold never bothered me anyway. Speaking of no right, no wrong, no rules for me, mm-hmm. I saw a parody of Let It Go called Let It Flow. That was <laughs> Anakin Skywalker. Like, control the fear, control the hate. Emotions, <laughs> they're not so great. And they just could keep that line the same. Yeah. <laughs> they could just keep the line, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Because that's a villain line. Yeah, this is that, this is a line that I was thinking of when I yeah, said right? some probably lines from Let It guess. Go are villain lines. So... I also picked this, yes, I'm alone, but I'm alone and free, because it, it connects to kind of my bond. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my quotes are circling this idea of freedom. Mm-hmm. So like the whole no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Mm-hmm. So if I may, go Absolutely. Bond. So my bond is, oh, I'm such a fool, I can't be free, no escape from the storm inside of me. Mm-hmm. This once again, this idea that she wants to be free, but she can't because of her guilt and her grief and this idea that she killed her sister there's always holding her back that she'll never be able to let that go. (laughs) 
I had her bond was hard. Yeah. Because her bond is to Anna, but the fact that she is very reserved and has yeah, to admit yeah. her love for Anna means that she never really expresses that. Right. So I actually I actually had to go back to when they are children at Ooh. the beginning of the movie. So her so I had her stole the snowman. Her, her bond is I want to build snowman. Yes. No, her I had for her bond. You're okay, Anna. I got you. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, this is hard. I like I like that a lot. You're okay, Anna. I've got you, but I feel like that's too too nice. Too nice. Yeah. So so I kind of like the I no escape from the storm inside of me. Like this, her bond is with this guilt she can't let go. Her mm-hmm. bond is kind of with this that she can't be. She wants to be alone, but she can't be alone because of this guilt she has. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. We also could do, um, if we did the uh, No Right, No Wrong, No Rules for Me, I'm Free for her ideal, th- then we could do the uh, Yes, I'm Alone, But I'm Alone and Free. Ooh, yeah, that works. That she's works. She's got this bond to herself. Ooh, yeah, that's good. That's good. We'll do that. So our bond then is the I'm Alone, But I'm Alone and Free. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really wanted to get that line there. That's a great line. I think we've got every line that we really wanted in here, just not right. necessarily in the places where we originally I, I also have one I wasn't sure mm-hmm. what it was to go for. I just want to run it by you. Uh-huh. And that's, stay away and you'll be safe from me. Mm. Just stay away. You, just stay away from you and you'll be safe. Because the one after, I'm alone, but I'm alone and free. Just stay away and you'll be safe from me. Mm. So, yeah. I'm pretty happy that we got that. That is a good line. I think so. that is, a, a, good that is a good line. Yeah, yeah. It's... I don't know where we would right. put it because the the only one if we were doing a different version of Elsa we could put it as traits. Right. Yeah. But we're yeah. doing her as being more actively malicious. Mm-hmm. So she's actively malicious. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of these quotes have that imagery of the storm that the storm rages within her. She's been holding it back. She's been suppressing it for so long, and now that storm is out. That storm is in the world. And even in the original Frozen movie, that's why she can't just be alone. That her, the storm within her, is affecting the world. And in our version, she is not just alone in her ice castle. Arendelle is frozen. Arendelle remains frozen. Arendelle's been frozen for many years. And let's talk a little more about that frozen kingdom of Arendelle in The Land. The Land. The vast majority of Arendelle is a frozen wasteland. Most of the people have crowded to the capital city to take advantage of the food and supplies that Hans distributes to them, but living in such close proximity is not without danger. With resources so scarce, Arendellians are miserly and distrustful at best, paranoid and aggressive at worst, and hoarding and theft are commonplace. To make matters worse, when the food supplies run low, there are less savory means of finding nourishment. There are no more pets or livestock within the city limits, and I was told that I would be taking my life into my hands by going out alone at night, and putting it on someone else's dinner plate. Recently, Hans has attempted to rally the people against the small community of Fearbolgs that dwell in the Valley of the Living Rock, claiming that their magic catalyzed Queen Elsa's powers and her descent into madness. I suspect that it has more to do with the Valley's steam vents, which have left the Fearbolgs almost untouched by the endless winter, further proof of collusion to Hans. Rumor has it that Elsa's parents took her to the Fearbolgs as a child, so I cannot rule out the possibility that they imbued her with power, but if they do have that level of magical strength, they are remarkably passive. They seem to want nothing but for the humans to leave them alone. Understandable, given the Arendellians' desperate avarice. When I ventured into the mountains to find Queen Elsa for myself, I learned why the people would rather risk the dangers of their fellow citizens within the city than those of the land without. 
The wind and cold, although terrible, were only part of the danger. Massive snow golems lurked in the wasteland, their bodies concealed by the blizzard until it was almost too late, waiting to snatch up unsuspecting travelers and take them to Elsa's castle. Some of the ice, direct from Elsa's hand, thrummed with necromancy. According to Arendellians, to be struck by one of these fragments was to die in agony. And then, of course, there were the results of her experiments. None of them had survived, but that did not stop them from wandering the landscape, doing the bidding of their frozen queen. So in the domain write-ups, you need to come up with like a cute little nickname, like Domain of Blah 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 Blah. And this one's easy. Domain... Arendelle's the Frozen Kingdom. It's the domain of eternal winter. Mm -hmm. That this is, this is frozen. Yeah. This is a place where it has been a deep, freezing, blizzard winter for multiple years. It's like, we've said this is an AU that's completely different, but also at the same time, it's kind of like, imagine Act 2 of Frozen, except on is an ice statue. Yeah, and just kind of <laughs> never ended and never got resolved. So we have got this human population that is really huddling around the royal palace. You have that scene where Hans is giving everyone <laughs> blankets and soup and glog and trying like taking care of people because this hit them and they weren't prepared. This was July. Mm -hmm. So everyone is, is this is this disaster basically, this natural disaster that's hit the kingdom. And that just natural disaster has never ended. So we do have Hans as king. He has convinced everyone that he married Anna before her death. Elsa's the horrible monster that killed Anna, and he is this king that has this absolute loyalty of the people, this very beloved king, steering his people through this very horrible time. Yeah, because there's one thing we know about Hans, is that he is a social chameleon who is good at getting people to love him. So even though he is a monster, people think he's pretty great. So... In addition to all the people of Arendelle who were there, there are some diplomats from other kingdoms because, you know, we did have, like, Duke Wesselton, who was the right. main one that we saw who's actually named, or, you know, Hans himself, for that matter. Right. There were people who came from other kingdoms to witness Elsa's coronation, and now they're stuck there. So we don't have really a whole lot written up here for, like, the politics and stuff and the backstabbing. We didn't really think of anything we wanted to do with Wesselton. But if that's something that you really want to dive into, getting into this idea of all these disparate people from these disparate lands in one place, kind of scrabbling over the crumbs, you can do that. That could be pretty cool. Because they know that Elsa is the one causing this. Yeah, everyone saw her go running away from the coronation, leaving trails of ice behind her. And probably a lot of people saw her do the giant ice explosion that froze a bunch of people. They're hoping that if they kill Elsa, then it's going to end the eternal winter. And it probably would. Probably would, yeah. But when they tried to do that, it didn't work out. And all she did was get mad and, you know, just completely ice everything over. So now... Hans is really trying to get them to expand into the Valley of Living Rock, where the trolls live. And as mentioned in the write-up, here, rather than using troll stats, we're using Fearbolg stats, because really, Fearbolg are perfect for what they're doing with the trolls here. Fearbolg are very much the 5e D&D version of that kind of fey creature archetype. Mm -hmm. that they're going for with the trolls. And trolls are a very specific thing in D&D, &D, so that can mm -hmm. be kind of confusing. It's like, these are trolls, but they don't regenerate, or they're the opposite of those trolls, but they're called... No, just 
They're a colony of Fearbolg that live in the kind of mountains of Arendelle. And if you want to be playing up that, nope, this is frozen, they're trolls, someone's ear table, right. whatever, we're calling them Fearbolg in the write-up, just and, to avoid confusion. And you can use the stats for Fearbolg just to mm-hmm. make things easier on yourself. Or yeah. not, you know, <laughs> do what you like, man. But one of the reasons that they're hoping to expand into the Valley of Living Rock, once again, as Dee mentioned, is that there are those steam vents there. And even you know, in the movie, when they go and they see the trolls, the trolls seem pretty much fine. Like, yeah, yeah, their yeah. valley is more or less untouched by all of Elsa's winter stuff. So they're hoping that if they can go there, then maybe they can, you know, have some of that warmth, have some relief from this this cold that's locking them in. And this could be a, an interesting thing for your PCs because you could have this whole the trolls know Hans's deal, right? They can mm-hmm. tell we'll, we'll get into this later, but that the trolls also do want to help the people of Arendelle. Yeah, Poppy didn't fall off the rock truck yesterday. Right, but. yeah. <laughs> the gravel dump truck. <laughs> so the trolls would like to help the people, but they know that in their current situation, with Hans as their leader, that's not going to end well for them. Mm-hmm. This is not a situation where they would be the, the people of Arendelle would be, be sharing the thermal vents of the valley or even sharing the kind of magic the trolls might have that helps them keep out some of Elsa's things. This could actually be a good place to work in some thematic stuff from Frozen 2 now that Ooh, I think about it. Yes. You've got kind of the colonialism and the stealing resources from the magical right. community. There, If you wanted to bring in some of that thematic stuff from Frozen 2 without bringing in a whole other here's out of Holland and the other elements and blah, 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 blah. Right, yeah. You could do that really, really well with Hans and the Fearbulk. And finally, before we get into kind of the specifics of these locations, though we've done that a little bit, I want to point out, we've already said you have to buy Icewind Dale to use this. <laughs> Sorry, um, everybody. But also, Icewind Dale is going to be very, very valuable for a lot of the rules for dealing with this realm of eternal winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Icewind Dale Chapter 1, there is the Wilderness Survival section. Then there's rules for avalanches, rules for blizzards, rules for extreme cold, rules for freezing water, rules for dog sleds, and you could easily swap out reindeer using mountain goat stats to have the kind of reindeer sled that Kristoff uh, has. They are better than people. Rules for mountain travel, both dogs and reindeers. Rules for mountain travel. If you want to do this sort of Arctic survival game, mm-hmm. a lot of the rules groundwork has been done for you in Ice Dale. So I do recommend getting access to that book if you want to do Arendelle. There's a long and storied history in Ravenloft of kind of taking other D&D settings and plopping them into Ravenloft. That, you know, there was Sithicus was really the Kryn domain, and they put Vecna in Ravenloft, and just they, when they were originally doing the, uh, the Japan domain, it was like Karatur in Ravenloft. So th- this is, this is Icewind Dale in Ravenloft. Go. Right, yeah, it's, yeah. it's part of, it's part of that long and storied tradition. So to get into some of those more specific places, we've got Arendelle Village, which was at the palace, that's where the main population is, and that's where you're getting into some of the horror of kind of survival. Mm-hmm. To do a little bit of a spoiler of our times <laughs> of horror, that this is just a bad, almost Falcovnia-esque, desperate, starving people. That they are freezing, they are starving. Every day is the struggle to find food, to find firewood, to stay warm. Every night... A couple people have frozen to death. Every day somebody starved to death. That they have to be pushing against Elsa. They have to send these expeditions into the forest to forage for supplies, to chop down trees for firewood. That they cannot just say, 
Elsa's going to be left alone. They have to kind of push into her territory. You've got like all the forests around the village have been chopped down, cleared out, and they're pushing more and more. So there's this inevitable conflict. They have to push against her territory. She wants to be able to experiment on, so she's pushing against them. This mm -hmm. is not... With this Dark Lord who constantly expresses the desire to be left alone, that's trickier to then engage them with the populace. Mm -hmm. So we want to set it up in a way that, no, they're always pushing against each other. They're yeah. inevitably in conflict. We're imagining that Hans is, as we mentioned, very popular. He's very beloved. He was, you know, the husband of the, the martyred Princess Anna. There's almost this, like, cult of personality mm -hmm. about Anna. as this, like, victim that represents all the victims of Elsa. Yeah. And we didn't want to use him as a Dark Lord, but he kind of is in a Dark Lord situation mm -hmm. where he did get what he wanted. He is king, and he is king of a people that are absolutely loyal to him and people that will obey his every command. Mm -hmm. Because in this kind of survival horror situation, he has to have an unprecedented level of authority. Like, the people of Arendelle have never yeah. had a king the power that Hans has in terms of deciding who gets to eat and who doesn't. <laughs> and who's going to go out in the woods to fight hunk starving wolves and try and kill them and bring back their meat and fur. Mm -hmm. But he is king of a... Frozen wasteland. Frozen wa a starving frozen wasteland. Every day he remembers how warm the Southern Isles were. <laughs> and he wasn't king in the Southern Isles, but he had a very comfortable life and was not on the verge of freezing to death. Yeah. And then another thing that we're doing with, with the capital city of Arendelle and kind of thing, a thing that we were talking about with the idea of the frozen heart and kind of the, this idea of some of the themes and the tropes of, you know, once again, spoilers for genres of horror, but it, it's disaster horror, guys. This is obviously disaster horror. Mm -hmm. But one of the themes is this, you know, man's inhumanity to man, you know, oh, in every zombie movie, it turns out humanity was the real we monster. We are the walking dead. <laughs> I'm doing jazz hands. Yes. You can't see them, but you can That's hear them. That's making her voice shake. <laughs> And the idea that there is a lot of that going on with the Arendellians, that there are some of them who are, you know, really in this moment stepping up and finding their courage and their generosity, but then those are the ones who give too much and they die, and so all the stuff are the horrible right. ones. That the, the ones who are surviving, because you, you don't have Hans really like encouraging this strong sense of morality and generosity because he doesn't understand how that works. What is a generosity? Can you become king with it? Mm -hmm. And so it really is this very, everyone's looking out for themselves. At best, they're hoarding and not sharing anything. And I got first pick for the rations. I'm not giving you any. Mm -hmm. And at worst, it is the actively stealing from other people that, you know, taking things and that, you really have the sense that the entire domain has a frozen heart that has not been thawed by love. We're going to get in a little more of that in the aging up section. Yeah, um, you, you can probably, probably see where yeah. we're going to go seen, with it. But you've, yeah. yeah. But Ain't no party like a Donner party. <laughs> and I want to make clear, we're not making a general statement about humanity no, with this. No, no, no. It's part of the being a Ravenloft domain. Mm -hmm. This is Elsa's frozen heart is sort of radiating out and making many, many, many people the worst versions of themselves. Yes. So this is not what would necessarily happen in the real world that doesn't have dark, the, powers. dark powers and domain lords <laughs> and poison mist borders. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of the way Ravenloft works, that the yeah. dark lords... This is what I meant when I said... The, it's not just the external, it's this domain of eternal winter. 
but even the internal, it's the domain of the frozen heart. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, again, with Barovia, that there are all these, you know, frightened peasants who are never going to really produce anyone extraordinary. And if you're going with some of the 5e stuff about how they don't have souls, then that could be part of it. But even if you're going with that they do have souls, no, that's the dark powers. They're they're making sure that there aren't extraordinary people who are going to be able to challenge Strahd, which means interesting Strahd. Right, keep Strahd born. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's that same kind of thing. We've also got, in terms of this human kingdom, it's almost all centered around the castle. We have got Wandering Oaken's trading post, which we're using just because it's a place mm-hmm. that's in the woods. But we're imagining that as kind of this fortified militia camp that is used as an outpost to launch these expeditions. So there's sort of the one of the big priorities is kind of securing that supply line from Watering Oaken's trading post to the castle, because that's where it's like firewood and food are kind of coming along that road. And that's like the other little sort of encampment colony of the human nation of Arendelle. And then the Valley of Living Rock, we've already talked about that a lot with getting into the setup. But, you know, they've got the Fearbulgs slash Trolls, whatever you want to call them, are there. They're led by Pobby. Pobby, you know, again, he knows what's up. He's got kind of the magical powers. He knows Hans's bad news. If Elsa were to come and talk to him, he would be able to help her. But, you know, she is convinced that everyone is against her, so she's never going to do that. Plus, right. they're... Pretty scared of Elsa because they know she's going to kill them. The first step is admitting you have a problem and she won't do that. Mm -hmm. And so since it does have these steam vents and everything, it is desirable for the humans. The humans are trying to move in on it, but the trolls would gladly help them if Hans were there, but Hans is there. And then also we've got, we're imagining that Kristoff is there, obviously, because, you know, he was raised by the troll slash Fearbulk. And Kristoff also knows what's up because he was there, you know, coming to find Anna and coming to give her true love's kiss. And as he was doing it, he saw Hans starting to draw his sword to go after Elsa. And, you know, then Elsa, rather than collapsing and sobbing so that Hans could Mm -hmm. go after her and Anna could get in the way, she blasted everything into an icy hellscape. Maybe that in this version, Anna said some stuff that Kristoff was the only one that overheard. Mm -hmm. So just, but that in our version... Kristoff knows Hans is bad. Yeah, or Olaf came and told him. Maybe. Right, yeah. Says we, we do still have Olaf around. Uh, but in wh- whatever the case may be, yeah, Kristoff knows Hans is bad, and any other political enemies of Hans have come here and you know, found the Valley of Living Rock as being this place where they can find sanctuary and safety, which is another reason that Hans wants to go after yeah, them, because yeah. he wants to eliminate his political enemies. The thing about like a police state mm-hmm. is they don't handle people criticizing the leader very well. What? And it's super easy if anyone criticizes Hans' decisions for him to say, this person is an enemy of Arendelle. This person is hurting morale. This person is a hoarder and a traitor. And this person needs to be killed. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of the citizens are going to be like, yeah, Hans, sounds great. (laughs) What are you going to do with the body afterwards? So we do have a couple of people have escaped. Maybe some are full on like anti-Hans activists. Others were just people that kind of spoke a little too freely disagreeing with his decisions. (laughs) And they escaped. Many of them found their way to the Valley of Living Rocks. We do have this little, like, cell led by Kristoff of kind of anti-Hans, sort of Robin Hood-esque dissidents. And then our last area is the North Mountain. And this is where we're going to be diving into some of our real non-disaster horror 
horror. So the North Mountain is where Elsa established her ice castle there. And she's, you know, kind of got her realm where she's got her snow golems. And it's this is just Elsa, snow and Iceland. And all she wants is to be left alone there. That's She wants to be alone and free. That's, that is all she wants out of life. But people do keep coming closer. People do keep coming to get, you know, firewood to forest for food. And those people, she is, uh, as we mentioned, capturing them because she wants to try freezing them the way she froze Anna, see if she can ever unfreeze any of them, and then maybe she'll also be able to unfreeze Anna. She, you know, again, she can't confront her guilt. She can't admit she did something wrong, but by cracky, this is this is the way that she's going to make things right, is that she is going to be the one to save Anna. We have a couple of different variants of ice zombies she's created, and they'll be there in the write-up on DMs Guild. Yeah, because one of the things that we're doing is Frozen is very loosely, very based, loosely. Very loosely based on the Snow Queen. And an incredibly cool thing in the Snow Queen, and a thing that they apparently brought into the Once Upon a Time Frozen storyline... Mm-hmm is this idea that there was like this mirror that shattered and if a splinter of it gets into your eye then all you see is the evil in the world and that was kind of where they got the idea of the splinter of ice lodges in on his right. heart and starts freezing her is this this idea of like splinters of evil ice that are lodging and corrupting you from the inside out mm-hmm and so we loved that. We that's was, awesome. Yeah, that's super awesome. And that's a thing. We never see Elsa hit anybody in the eye with her ice. For all we know, it does that. So this idea that as you get closer to the North Mountain, it's not just a standard issue blizzard that's raging. That there's also some of Elsa's little bits of ice that are stuck in it. And heaven help you if one of those hits you. Because wherever it lodges, it's going to take root and it's going to start infecting you. Just like how Anna, you know, it hit her on the heart and then slowly her hair started turning white and she started to die. Mm-hmm. Wherever it hits you, it is going to slowly start taking you over and, you know, if it hits you in the eye, then just like in the Snow Queen story, you're going to start seeing nothing but evil in the world. You're going to go chaotic evil for a couple days and then become an ice zombie. You know, if it, if it hits you in the throat, then it's going to freeze your voice and just going to start talking hmm. like the guy who's doing the pit of despair in The Princess Bride. And then, you know, your voice is going to start, like, hurting people as it comes out and then gradually turn into your, you know blasting out a cone of cold like a white dragon. If it hits your hands, then suddenly you're withering plants to the touch, and you have an ice blast attack. Once you, after a couple days, you turn into an ice zombie, and you have an ice blast attack. Yeah. So even people who don't draw Elsa's attention, who are getting in under the radar as they're coming in foraging for food or firewood or whatever, they are still running the chance of getting hit by this horrible necrotic murder ice. And then they go back to the city, they're infected, the ice is gradually taking root and growing and growing and changing them and corrupting them, and if the people of Arendelle don't treat them the way that one treats someone turning into a zombie, then they are eventually going to turn into an ice zombie and start heading back to their mistress. Which, once again, gives us an excellent excuse for Hans to be horrible. Yes. You kind of have this infection that can go under the radar... And that is a thing that a dictator of a police state will love because mm-hmm. it gives them a reason people to have no privacy, constantly controlling people, 
quarantining people, executing people for the good of the state. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people have been executed claiming they were showing symptoms of having this ice infection, but actually they were just complaining about Hans's decisions. Yeah. So we have this very dark, very <laughs> brutal version of Arendelle, this very horrible setting, but why would your PCs come there other than you just watch the terror and want to make them really cold? <laughs> Rachel, what do you do with it? Dread Possibilities By using various spells of movement and concealment bestowed upon me by my patron, I was able to infiltrate Elsa's palace, although I doubt I would have been able to enter undetected if she had not been distracted. Her palace was a crystalline marvel, as beautiful as it was cold, much like its mistress. Hundreds of intricately crafted rooms stood empty, silent but for the howling of the wind and the slow, heavy footfalls of her servants. I made my way through the halls of the castle, past enormous snow golems and frost-rhymed zombies, making sure to avoid the ones whose eyes were particularly encrusted with ice. I had heard that Elsa granted them powers by targeting certain parts of their body with her shards, and I did not want to risk the possibility that frozen eyes granted Eldritch sight that would pierce my magical concealment. At last, I arrived at the icebound heart of the palace. Princess Anna stood on a plinth in the center of Elsa's laboratory, looking for all the world like a perfectly carved statue of ice, and around her were various tables and enclosures, some holding people, others holding ice zombies or frozen statues. The floor was covered in something that I almost didn't recognize at first, as it was so out of place in the castle. Liquid water. As I watched, Elsa approached one of the statues and ran her hands over it, only for it to melt beneath her touch. With a snarl of frustration, she moved on to another. This one's limbs jerked into movement, its mouth opening and closing like a fish's, and it rose from its table and shambled to join its fellow undead. I could see from the queen's face that this was not the outcome she had wanted, but after some time observing her, these seemed to be the only two results that she could manage. At last, she slumped at the foot of Anna's statue, looking defeated, and I crept away. I heard a woman's voice sobbing on the wind as I made my escape. Not Elsa's. It may have been one of her victims, but the tone was not one of fear or pain. It was of bone-deep sorrow. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. So why would your PCs come to this horrible, grim, frozen wasteland? (laughs) Why wouldn't they? This frozen, frozen wasteland. (laughs) I mean, it made billions of dollars. So right? Yeah. No. This is. This appeal. is. There's a lot of. There's a lot of potential here. You. You already bought all the figurines for your kids, so you don't have to get minis. <laughs> so we got a couple of possibilities to actually get them to come here. Of course, there always is the. You go into the mist. Now it's snow. Look at Elsha. She's singing. Now you're dead. <laughs> but I. But wait, ice zombies. So you could always just have the mist spit them out in Arendelle. And that is well and respected and time honored. Time honored Ravenloft tradition. But if you want to set up a situation where your PCs themselves choose to come to this horrible frozen wasteland, some godforsaken reason, we've got a couple of possibilities. And one is an echo something we had with our Sleeping Beauty episode as a plot hook because there's a similar setup where in both cases you had this great courtly gathering. In Sleeping Beauty, it was uh, for Briar Rose's sort of cotillion slash engagement party for Philip when the sun went down on her 16th birthday and the curse was over. And here, of course, it was for Elsa's coronation. But either way, in both of those, we are specifically told 
that people from all these other countries have come. This is like this major courtly event. It's not just people from Sleeping Beauty Kingdom. It's people from a number of other kingdoms. It's not just people from Arendelle. In fact, we don't meet anyone from Arendelle, really, except we meet Ponds of the Southern Isle. We meet the Duke of Wesselton. We I meet... think Flynn and Rapunzel are there. Yeah, they? Flynn and Rapunzel yeah. are there. So you can go help them out. There you go. So that is an obvious they get hired to bring them out. In this case, it maybe wouldn't have been as long or it could have been something like, it's been a couple of years, this noble who was there from another kingdom managed to scrape together like a sending spell and let them know, I'm still alive, I haven't been eaten yet. <laughs> and then they're able to use you know, scrying to locate them and kind of give the PCs a lead, and the PCs are hired, slash they owe a favor, slash they're offered a favor, to get this noble or noble family out of Arendelle. And since we're looking at Arendelle, not necessarily originally being from Ravenloft, did you know, and unlike Sleeping Beauty, where it was already in Ravenloft when this big party happened, Arendelle wasn't yet, unless it was from somewhere in Ravenloft originally. This could be the way that you get your party yeah, to Ravenloft, yeah. is if they're in, the, you know, like Faerun or whatever, where Arendelle originally mm-hmm. was, and this this noble family sends them in there. Yeah, let's go over Rapunzel's parents. Mm-hmm. They're desperate to have her back, so they managed to get together some magical they just, they just got her back they thought this was gonna be a fun little trip <laughs> and so they get together like a magical thing a scrying thing that'll bring the pcs to rapunzel and flynn and that also the way the spell works it brings them into ravenloft so that is it a good way to get them into ravenloft if you want to do something more based in ravenloft then it could be like yes this is this frozen wasteland but they're desperate for supplies and they're willing to pay quite a large amount of money because in this kind of situation, gold versus food. Hmm. You're going to pay a lot of gold for food and firewood. So if you are those people who can come into that domain with food and firewood, you can come out with a lot of gold. And this could especially be in terms of PCs, something like it's just known that Hans is buying supplies, especially magical items and magical weapons. I've written here in my notes, a wand of fireballs is worth its weight in platinum. Mm-hmm. Because you can guess a lot of Elsa's minions are vulnerable to fire damage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like certain magical items they think will be helpful. He is willing to really dig into the Arendelle treasury. You just, you walk away with multiple chests stuffed full of platinum if you bring in a couple of good snow golem fighting magical items. So that's the main thing I can think of is mm-hmm. we have this kind of ongoing war between Arendelle, between Elsa's forces, and it's the PCs somehow get pulled into that. And maybe it's more of a humanitarian thing. If they're not just doing it for the money, it could be they just are willing to bring food and medical supplies to this starving population, do a kind of relief mission. But either way, that's going to be the thing that pulls them in, is that conflict between uh, Hans and between Elsa and between their people and their minions. So once you are there, and once you've made the terrible mistake of coming to Arendelle, <laughs> then that conflict is also going to be the source of a lot of the plots, a lot of the stories you do. We, this is going to involve a lot of the Arctic survival. So once again, we've mentioned Icewind Dale. There are those, are those rules in Icewind Dale I think would be useful, like random events in Icewind Dale, hungry wolves. Mm-hmm. This is just a lot of the drama of this setting is that you don't need a very complicated plot or a very complicated mission. It's a lot of the survival horror. So it could be something simple as 
a whole session that's just trying to make your way to deliver this, you know, dog sled or two of supplies to the castle. And it's just dealing with snow golems, dealing with freezing, dealing with avalanches, dealing with hungry wolves, dealing with maybe some feral Arendelle humans that are trying to take the supplies for themselves. Dealing with ice zombies, dealing with whatever cold-type monsters you've looked up and you said, oh, I've been looking for an excuse to use this guy. But we've been in temperate forests this whole time, so I haven't been able to. So a lot of this can just be missions related to this conflict. So there could be delivering supplies to Arendelle. We've talked about Wandering Oakens as sort of the the outpost, the bastion. So just delivering supplies to Wandering Oakens or going there. You know, you could do really a whole little, you know, gritty sort of survival adventure that is just you have to join a group that's going to Wandering Oakens. Then you join a foraging party and you go out and are foraging for firewood and food. And then you come back to Wandering Oakens. Then you have to take that firewood and food and take it back to the castle for the people to use. And that is a very simple plot, but it's a very like white knuckle, high stakes. There's so many dangers. There's so many problems and challenges to get through that very simple kind of fetch and retrieve mission. And you have these very high stakes of people are going to freeze or starve mm-hmm. if you don't successfully bring back this, the weekly delivery of firewood and food. This is kind of a nice, this this be a good drop-in, mm-hmm. like one-shot, two-shot Arendelle adventure. Just go in, do the trading post thing, do the mission, come back, and then get your money and leave. If you want something more related to the meta plot, you kind of want to have a longer stay in Arendelle, and you want to get more actually in the mix in this conflict, we've got a couple of possibilities. And one is, you know, you do well, you seem competent, so Hans pays you to scout out the Valley of the Living Rock because he's tried it, but it hasn't worked. They've either gotten lost or been repelled or been just mystically turned around. So he sends you, and that's where you meet the Firbolg, and you can meet Kristoff, and you can meet his little resistance pocket. Maybe the Firbolg have some kind of, like, ward set up around it that you can't find them if you have ill intentions towards them, whichever mm-hmm. one, you know. Deep down, everyone scouting it. It's like, yeah, we're, we're totally going to kill these guys if this doesn't work out. And if, you're, if your PCs aren't murder hobos, then that's not going to be their frame of mind. So they can actually find it. And so you can get more of the complexity. Because in the previous one, you can just basically have the... Wow, Hans seems like a kind of a tyrant, but he's in this horrible situation and Elsa's really the bad guy. And she's the one trying to kill us with ice zombies. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. now you can get a little bit more into that mix. You can get a little bit more into that politics. Because now you could meet Kristoff and you could find out the truth. So you could actually hear that Hans is the one who's responsible for Anna's death. He's not just like a, you know, a leader who's been forced to the brink of doing these like terrible things because he's in this terrible situation. He is a power-hungry, murderous tyrant. Mm -hmm. And he always has been. Yeah. And the nice thing here is then Kristoff's group, his little resistance group, that gives you a good guy faction. Because a lot of PCs, you know, they might really get the horror of these sort of two monsters fighting each other and all these innocent people are caught in the mix. Or you might, they might want to go, wow, we hate all these jerks, and giving them a good guy factional really and getting engaged them in the story more. Especially if you want to play up that whole icebound heart, so many people in Arendelle are as frozen inside as Elsa is, then they might just be like, you know, what, these jerks can all freeze, we don't care. Yeah, right. And yeah, having some people that you don't want to freeze can be a good thing for them. Or even just having this sort of 
this is the guy that should be in charge. These mm-hmm. are the good guys. These are the ones that are morally right. We have a very clear moral pathway, which is to sort of put Kristoff in charge. Yeah. And then we have done the right thing, and we can feel that contentedness. Another possible mission they could have that would get them a little bit more into the mix. This is also a way to get them a little deeper into Elsa's domain, to actually get into her castle, really kind of look around. And that is a whole confrontation with Elsa going. Right, you actually have a scene with Elsa, not just a bunch of snow golems or ice zombies. And that's, you know, that's that's what we're here for. (laughs) And that's Hans is, he's trying to reinforce his rule. In in the write-up, we mentioned the whole, he is this very popular leader. He has been for a long time. He's seen as, you know, being this guiding the people through this terrible time. He has a lot of kind of loyalty because of this relationship with Anna. Anna is sort of this martyr figure that there's this intense devotion to. A lot of people kind of have her be this sort of victim of Elsa's that represents all the victims of Elsa's. So he was her husband. She was taken from him. That gives him a deep amount of sympathy. But it's been a long time and everyone's starving and freezing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of public executions and <laughs> anyone that dissents is publicly executed. And he can tell. He's sharp enough to tell that his rule is crumbling. That, like, the people are sort of starting to turn against him. So he's thinking, if I could get the crown of Arendelle, that would just be a nice symbolic gesture, a way of reinforcing my kingship, and even just a way of giving the people a symbolic win. That I've, I've gotten this crown that Elsa took, and now we've returned it to Arendelle, to its proper sovereign, to its proper place. <laughs> and then they sing the shockingly, uncharacteristically jingoistic Arendelle anthem that we hear in <laughs> 2, and their flag will always fly. And that that's a thing you would hire adventurers to do, and then that gives you a, a more a specific and also more dangerous journey into Elsa's domain than just sort of get food, get firewood. And then we always try to make sure with these that we have sort of what's your core, like, default story. You know, like with, with Barovia, your default story is Curse of Strahd. You're trying to save your Tatiana mm-hmm. reincarnation from Strahd. With Valachan, your default story is that you're trying to survive these, you know, most dangerous game things against Chikuna. And for this one, though, the, the story that we came up as kind of the default is that rather than retrieving the crown to try to shore up Hans's rule, he actually wants you to go and retrieve Anna, her statue. Uh, because number one, that's going to remind everybody, oh, hey, remember Anna? Remember how much you love Anna? Remember how much Anna loved me? Therefore, you love me. And so that's going to win him some of that sympathy back if he can basically be, you know, hanging her up on a flagpole every day to kind of rally the morale of the Arendellians. And so he comes, he spins the PCs, this, you know, tale of woe about his poor wife who's been, her body's been spirited away by Elsa and he just wants her back so that he can, you know, give her the proper, respectful, put her in the middle of town square for mm-hmm, everyone right. to mourn over. And then as your PCs are going to try and retrieve the, the frozen statue, they can get intercepted by Kristoff or by the trolls. And, you know, Kristoff can tell you that the trolls can help her, that you're not just going to be getting her body out, that she's still alive and there, right. that she still can be thawed, and that if you take her to the trolls, that they can help her. So then you have the expedition at Elsa's castle. Elsa fights it tooth and nail because this is the one yeah, thing yeah, that she yeah. is defending over anything else. She's not letting you have Anna without a fight. 
Um, and then, you know, meanwhile, like, Hans's men are coming because they really don't want this to go wrong. His, his most loyal soldiers are coming in and really trying to make sure that Anna gets back to Arendelle because he, he does not want this to get fouled up. But then you can finally get Anna to Pabi. He can unfreeze her just long enough for her to be able to tell everybody the truth. They wouldn't listen to Kristoff this rando, but they'll, they're going to listen to Anna. Right. And that can be the beginning of public sentiment turning against Hans, the people overthrowing Hans, because he's not our Dark Lord. He can get overthrown. He can get killed. And then even though we still have this horrible frozen Arendelle, we still have Elsa doing her thing, maybe we can get Kristoff or somebody in charge because, you know, Anna's going to refreeze again because otherwise Elsa's torment is over and the Dark Mm -hmm. Powers can't have that. So unfortunately, we can't have her in charge. We can get Kristoff or somebody in charge or have an alliance between the trolls and the humans now that Hans is gone or something. And there can be a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of a better life. The nice thing here is that because our Dark Lord is Elsa... Mm -hmm. It means you can do what you want with Hans. He yeah. doesn't have any kind of Dark Lord plot armor. The status quo of Hans's rulership of Arendelle is not part of the Dark Lord plot armor. That the PCs can make a significant change by kind of overthrowing him. Mm-hmm. And this could be a way to do that. And it could be all these like nobles are here and there's this big public proclamation. Ah, he killed Anna. And then everybody rises up and overthrows him, puts him in the stocks. Or it could even be like the guards that are there are mm-hmm. these true believers and they hear and then they join Kristoff's forces. So this idea of like, okay, this is this is still ongoing. You've got this resistance. There's still this conflict. Han still has some power. But you've just tripled the resistance and given them these like battle-hardened soldiers that are now dedicated to taking Hans down. Yeah. So there's a bunch, depending on what you think most satisfying for players, how much they want to play out, they could either do the well, we made a positive change, and this will probably work itself out, so let's leave (laughs) to the full-on, you know, having the big victory party at the Valley of Living Rock that you've defeated Hans, and now the trolls and the humans are going to work together. Yeah. Yeah, this is is kind of like, once again, going back to Sleeping Beauty, that Maleficent's torment was that her revenge on Aurora could never be complete, so as long as Aurora's alive, Maleficent's torment is ongoing. And with this, it's a similar thing where Hans whatever. You know, right, the yeah. the state of the people in Arendelle, the state of whether or not they're allied with the trolls and what Kristoff's doing, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is that Anna stays frozen. So unfortunately, that is that you can't save Anna yeah. because that ends Elsa's torment. But anything else for anyone, and even you can get Anna out of the ice castle, you can get her back to Arendelle, mm-hmm. you know, kind of give her sort of like a proper burial in a mausoleum or whatever. You know, I guess you could bury her underground. I don't know. This seems uh-huh. kind of strange with an ice statue. But anyway, you can give her a proper burial, and then Elsa's trying to, you know, storm Arendelle to get her, you know, frozen ice statue back. As long as she's not thawed, Elsa's still tormented. Right. You could even fall on kill haunts. Like, if yeah, you want to yeah. be a big, the trolls and the Kristoff people and the, like, ones you flipped storming the castle... And the PCs get to kill Hans. Like, they can mm-hmm. do that because he's not our Dark Lord. And because him ruling Arendelle, that's convenient for our story as a status quo. But it's not a metaphysically necessary. It's not Strahd doesn't get Tatiana. It's mm-hmm. not a metaphysically necessary status quo. 
So that's it for kind of our, our plot hooks and our stories. Now we get to our Dread Possibilities section, and here's where we talk about AUs, and here's also where we talk about aging up and aging down. If you're listening to a Disney Ravenloft podcast, it might be because you're really into the Disney part of things. Maybe you have kids who are really into the Disney part of things, in which case you sure as heck don't want to run this version of Arendelle. Yeah, heck yeah. And so we can, in our Aging Down section, we talk about how to take a frozen domain and make it something that you could actually run for your kids without making them hate you forever or hate <laughs> us forever when you tell them it was our you idea. Um, and then in our Aging Up section, you know, here, believe it or not, we have been kind of dancing around some of the most horrific implications of this domain. So the Aging Up section is where we really dive into that, really get into how to play up the most horrific elements of this. And when we get to that part, future Rachel is going to pop in and tell you if your Elsa loving kids are in the room. We told you not to listen to this. Yeah, right. Elsa loving kids in the room. But if they are, then you know, how far to skip ahead or, you know, how long to have your earbuds in or whatever, so that you can go back and listen to all the Donner Party shenanigans <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> A little sneak preview. Yeah. So for aging down, obviously Elsa's not the Dark Lord if you're running this for your kids who went to Elsa right, for yeah, three yeah. years in a row. Yeah. We're doing a very similar AU breaking point, where, you know, rather than, you know, kind of collapsing in grief, Elsa freaked the heck out and made things snow more, but she didn't kill anybody or right. anything. She just freaked out and ran away like she did at the coronation. Yeah. It was basically just that all over again. So Hans is our Dark Lord. Elsa is hiding in her castle. Just constant out of control winter. She cannot stop it. She's trying and trying, but that's just making her more afraid. And the more afraid she gets, the less she's able to stop it. It's not any kind of malice. She's not kidnapping people and experimenting yeah, on no them. There's no ice zombies here. Yeah. It's just the ice methods and the snow golems. Yeah, that she's kind of making to protect herself. And she's just, she's not doing anything actively evil. She's just got all these ice methods and snow golems to protect her from Hans. And she's scared out of her mind. And that's making Winter worse because that's what happens in the movie. And when the expeditions are coming for firewood and food, she has her people attack them because she interprets that as an attack. Yeah. And because it probably was, there was several attacks in this timeline. There were several attacks on her ice castle. So now any kind of group of armed humans coming into her territory, she interprets as an attack. Which just makes sure that every time they come, they're going to be armed. So it's a lovely, lovely little cycle going on. And of course, you know, again, running up for kids, she doesn't kill any of them. She just runs them out. She mm. might even injure them, but she's not going to kill them. With Hans being our Dark Lord... You know, as we mentioned, his torment is that the Southern Isles are looking real good right now. And he's, you know, king of the South Pole, prince of the land of stench, and there's... He got yeah. what he wanted, he lost what he had, which was being able to feel his toes. <laughs> and having a full stomach. Yeah. You don't have an element of tragedy and relatability with Hans, but with kids you don't need that yeah, as much, because yeah. they're happy to just punch him in the face repeatedly. And in this version of things, you know, we're not having the experiments... Elsa didn't run away with Anna's statue. Hans still has it. And Elsa is freaking out because she wants to get Anna. She wants to bring her back. She wants to find some way to thaw her. And if you can bring Elsa to Anna, then 
Elsa is going to be able to melt her. She'll go to Anna and she'll collapse on Anna sobbing and she'll tell Anna that she wants to build a snowman with her. Right. There, there, was, there was some YouTube thing that Tom saw where Elsa sang a little reprise of Do You Want to Build a Snowman as she was hugging Anna and I... I wish so bad that was in the movie because it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And so you can, but you can you can have that moment, and then Anna melts, like as in thaws and becomes right. Flash and that turns into a <laughs> That's the next one. Yeah, and then they can all help Anna escape from Arendelle. So you know Hans is still king because the status quo is happening, but. Anna gets to escape and hang out with Elsa and be in her ice palace and they can live with the trolls and with Kristoff and now Elsa's much more calm so the winter's a lot better and things aren't as miserable. So you've still got your Dark Lord in your domain but you're able to save Anna, save Elsa from herself and make a difference. And in this one you can't overthrow Hans. This is kind of the flip side. In this one you can save Elsa from herself, save Anna get them together, have the ending of Frozen, but you can't overthrow Hans. So when you do this, Hans is going to be able to spin it. He's going to be able to convince everyone that like Elsa killed Anna or that Elsa stole her from the, for the, the Frozen statue or whatever. And you can get some of the people, but he is still going to have be this sovereign because that is part of his torment. But once again, your kids are probably going to care a lot less about that than that they saved Anna and Elsa and they're hugging. Yeah. And if you really want to make sure that they're like permanently out of Hans's reach, then you might even bring in some Frozen 2 stuff and say that they run away into Ida Holland and they're there now and just hanging out in this lovely autumn forest mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> where they can run out of farm and be free and happy. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's how we age it down, and that's how we, we make things... Doesn't that sound fun? That sounds like a, like a fun sounds... frozen adventure. It does! Tom, what if we hate ourselves? What if we hate ourselves and are over 18? So, yeah, if we hate ourselves and are over 18, content warning before future intro <laughs> comes and gives you the more detailed stuff. Ain't no party like a Donner party, as we keep repeatedly saying. Mm-hmm. And You're picking up what we're putting down. Yeah, just all kinds of general body horror, survival mm-hmm. horror, experimentation, blah, 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 blah. And future Rachel is going to come in with a more detailed content warning and tell you how far to skip ahead now. This is future Rachel. You're going to want to skip ahead almost exactly five minutes to right around uh, one hour 25 or so. Uh, we do, as promised, we talk about cannibalism. There's also, you know, there was the reference in the D content to there not being any pets in Arendelle anymore. We touch on that lightly and specifically in the context of a horse a little less lightly. That's most of what we touch on, and if that is something that you do not want to listen to, then we will see you in about five minutes. So for older adults that hate themselves, um, (laughs) just want, we're like, watched Frozen and we're like, but what if it was the Siege of Stalingrad? This really isn't a realistic look at what Eternal Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Especially if it came in the middle of July. Use our default setup. This is one of those ones where it's not really a different story at all to do it for aging up. It's using the same setup that we've given as the default. It's just how much detail you go into. Mm -hmm. How much horror do you go into just in terms of things like cold and frostbite? Do you describe people missing fingers, missing toes, missing arms? With the turning people into ice zombies, do you like really... You know, that that could be kind of a goofy cartoon episode of Mighty Max where you have people Mm -hmm. get turned into ice zombies. Or you could really go into the body horror of this ice 
inside of you that is freezing you from the inside out and freezing like your mind and your heart and making you a zombie. Especially some of the ones that we talk about in the write-up. You know, we have the different things that it freezes. And with the ones with the, the eyes into the mind and the heart, it messes with your perceptions. It messes with your personality, your mind. And that, that could get real horrifying. Yeah. With the stuff with Hans, you could really play up the level of police state paranoia, people informing on each other for extra rations, you know, the slightest bit of dissent being dragged out and being like stripped and hung up in a cage to die of exposure, which I imagine is the main form of execution here. <laughs> and like really make this this horrible, like... East Germany hyper paranoid police state with in terms of rations and people not getting enough food there's the thing we've been kind of mm-hmm. hopefully subtly dancing around here <laughs> I mean not subtly for the yeah, adults right. in the room but uh <laughs> we're sorry if you got a couple what's a Donna party <laughs> um it's a party for one of Santa's reindeer yeah right the, Why isn't it been frozen because it's cold? But really playing up not just the freezing cold, but the hunger. Mm-hmm. And so I mentioned, I read this book about the siege of Stalingrad, and they would talk about how you know everybody's cats disappeared, everybody's dogs disappeared, uh, nobody had rats problems anymore, or mice. <laughs> they talk about someone had like a draft horse pulling something, and the draft horse you know, died of the horrible conditions. And just kind of had, had a heart attack and collapsed in the middle of the street. And the people who were just kind of going about their business in the besieged city just like swarmed it and started eating it. And that kind of thing. You could have that scene where mm-hmm. somebody has a, a horrible, about to die of exhaustion reindeer, underfed reindeer. And it like passes out and collapses and the people just swarm and start eating it. <laughs> Or, of course, scandalism is going to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. And this is another thing from the book about the Siege of Stalingrad. They said how these two words they would use for cannibalism. And one was finding people that were dead for other reasons, like cold, and eating them. And that was sort of not optimal. That was like, <laughs> that was not something you would want to share that you did. But, dot, dot, dot. And the other one was the actually murdering people to eat them. And that's the whole, that's absolutely, no, absolutely <laughs> not. That's beyond the pale. So that could be a thing here. And if you listen to our Lion King episode, you know there is this legacy thing that in Ravenloft, eating sentient beings turns you into ghouls. And so you could have these little pockets of ghouls, especially if you do the people are deliberately killing folks and eating them, I think then that, mm-hmm. like, you, you'd be failing as a Ravenloft GM yeah. if you didn't have that turn into a little, like, pocket of ghouls. Mm-hmm. Just every every couple of weeks in Arendelle, just suddenly a bunch of ghouls spill out of one of the houses. Mm-hmm. And you could have, like, a, a, a moment where your, where your PCs, like, walk into a house and they see this, this group of people who are in various stages of turning into ghouls just sitting in the middle of the room drawing lots. And you know what they're drawing lots yeah, for. Yeah, right. So, yeah, like, just don't do anything really different, mm-hmm. but just be a bit more detailed, a bit more graphic, a bit more explicit in talking about some of the horrors we're evoking. Yeah. If you want to go this route, uh, it actually worked out very well for <laughs> me being in the headspace for this episode. We literally just this past weekend wrapped a big Balanox survival thing in my Ravenloft game. And to get into the headspace for it, I was reading a whole bunch of, like, you know, Into Thin Air and a whole bunch of, like, other kind of mountain climbing, horrible survival stories. 
If you read a couple of those, you're yeah, going to get yeah. some really good cold imagery that you can bring in about the, the, the frostbite and how much frostbite messes you up and how mm-hmm. awful people with advanced frostbite look and just all, all, yeah, kinds yeah. Of, all kinds of horror imagery. So for the mainline game, we've mentioned this. I think this is the last time I'm going to mention the Icewind Dale Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. <laughs> but that one, I think, is a good baseline. You want to run this. You want some horror but you don't necessarily want to traumatize people because it does play up with the sort of the premise of that adventure is it's been like two years of winter and things are desperate and everyone's cold and freezing and hungry, but like not real. It's really kind of standard D and D level of like the communities and the adventures and the stuff that happens. And it's almost more of a flavor thing that you're in this kind of apocalyptic winter setting. And I know there were people that were quite disappointed. They wanted more horror. They wanted more of the deprivation, of the starvation, the cold. And if that's you, then do the thing we just said a minute ago. (laughs) But I would, if I were just running this with regular non-miserablest people, (laughs) then I would probably use the Icewind Dale kind of as a baseline for sort of how much of the horror of winter do we get into. Mm Mm-hmm. And then our last thing for Dread Possibilities that we get into is AUs. The first AU is basically what we already yeah. talked about in Aging Down. Hans is the Dark Lord. Elsa's not experimenting, just making winter. It, it, that's something that's just, if you don't want to do something quite as dark as what we've been describing, you know, even if you're not doing things with kids, or if you just like really hate Hans and want him yeah. to be the Dark Lord, or really love Elsa and don't want her to be the Dark Lord, do that. We probably should have said this at the beginning of the show, but so many people love and care for and really identify with Elsa. And if that's you and if that's your players, this is how you can still have Frozen. This mm-hmm. is if you're doing a kind of Disney domain hopping or you're not, but you just really love Frozen and want to have Frozen, you don't need to be having Elsa be a murderous mad scientist psychopath. Yeah, you can just have Hans is the Dark Lord Elsa is just hiding in her castle, panicking, and the more she panics, the worse the storm gets, and defending herself with her snow golems and ice methods, but she's gotten to the point where any advancement on her is seen as an attack, and so she's quote-unquote defending herself from any level of incursion, just just because she's afraid. And, you know, that's totally in keeping with the character. That's somebody that you can save and bring back if your characters love Elsa. So that that is absolutely one way you can do it. The second one is taking from the show Once Upon a Time. Now, uh, I, to be clear, I haven't seen the show, but I know they did a Frozen arc, And I went and looked it up and kind of read sort of what the recap for that season with the Frozen arc. And to super oversimplify a very complicated, (laughs) like, season-long arc of a soap opera, as you can imagine. We know we need to watch Once Upon a Time. It's it's very on-brand for us. And, like, every episode, someone will ask us, oh, did you you see how they did this Once Upon a Time? No, we didn't. I'm sorry. Um, Except the Kanto. That was not Once Upon a Time. Yeah, right. So take that, (laughs) Once Upon a Time. So, to super oversimplify, it basically comes out that you have the Snow Queen. So, it's taking some of that original figure of the Snow Queen from the Hans Christian Andersen story that Frozen is extremely loosely inspired by. And the Snow Queen is Elsa's aunt. And they're sort of the... I I may even remember this wrong. I'm sorry, Once Upon a Time fans. Um, (laughs) But more or less, the Snow Queen is Elsa's aunt... And she she kind of wants this coven of ice witches. And so she is sort of 
deliberately sabotaging Elsa's relationships, deliberately trying to make people hate and fear her and, like, do things that'll get blamed on Elsa because she kind of wants Elsa to reject humanity and come join her. And she does the whole, like, oh, you know, humans are dumb and and they'll they'll always hate you, they'll always fear you. And she sort of wants to make that a self-fulfilling prophecy so that Mm -hmm. Elsa comes and joins her, like, wintry cabal. So you could do that. You could have the Snow Queen. This would be a little weirder to incorporate because I imagine your players are really into Frozen. They've seen Frozen 2 and they know some of the backstory stuff. But if you wanted to change that up and have the Snow Queen and maybe she's related to Elsa, maybe in this version she's the source of Elsa's power, something, something out of Holland. But that way you get kind of a Dark Lord who can serve the sort of narrative role of Elsa but then you could save Elsa. Mm-hmm. Like, so you can, ha- you can have that same setup we've been using as our default. It's kind of like in some of the Final Fantasy games where 80% of the way through the game, it's like, oh no, Emperor Evil was actually working for the Moon God. Was like a <laughs> puppet of the Moon God. And the last, like, three hours of this 100-hour game, you're fighting <laughs> the Moon God. <laughs> but, like, it means Emperor Evil was, like, a- an evil puppet. That he wasn't the actual big bad. He's not irredeemably evil. So you could have that. That Elsa is being manipulated and controlled by the Snow Queen. And so that's the actual domain lord, which means Elsa's savable. Elsa, you can melt Anna. You can bring Elsa around. You can overthrow Hans. You can have all that if you have the Snow Queen as the domain lord. Mm-hmm. So that is hopefully a menu of options where you can find the one that is just perfect for your appetite for this game. That you can run an absolutely horrific, the terror-esque Arctic Nightmare. You can run basically Frozen, but the PCs are sort of Olaf. (laughs) Or you can run introducing this new bad guy to sort of play the role of Elsa and then let Elsa not be locked into that Dark Lord role. And so one of those, hopefully, is something you like. And we will wrap up our thoughts about using Arendelle for any of those domains in our parting thoughts in a section we like to call Parting Thoughts. So the first thing we want to talk about is the genres of horror, and I think we've tipped our hand a little bit. <laughs> just, um, just a scotch. Just, just we keep saying body horror. <laughs> so the first genre of horror, obviously, this one we both clear from both of us is body horror, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing the more adulting it up, mm-hmm. uh, really digging into the frostbite, really digging the ice zombies. That's kind of neat because we didn't think we'd get a body horror domain. Yeah, because bo- body horror is really scary, and we we didn't <laughs> spoilers until Pleasure Island. We didn't think we were going to get yeah, a right. body horror domain because they did it once in Pinocchio, and then said, "What are we doing?" Let's Coming in 2024. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's on. It's on the list. <laughs> it's on the list. So yeah, we did not. Looking at all the all the movies we were planning to do, we did not think we'd get a body horror until mm-hmm. we realized you could have that as a big horror element of Frozen. Yeah. So what would you say is our second genre? Oh, uh, let me think disaster horror. Yeah. <laughs> and disaster horror sort of the catch-all they're using for survival horror. Mm-hmm. And that's this. Like, this isn't... The disaster's kind of this ongoing two-year blizzard. Yeah. But I guess that is a disaster. But mm-hmm. either way, it is that disaster horror, survival horror, apocalyptic winter freezing, frostbite, losing toes, cannibalism. Manity's the real monster. Yeah, even that. Even that element of disaster horror where 
the the people of Arendelle are just as monstrous as the ice zombies in Snow Gollum. Mm-hmm. And with talking about how to incorporate that horror, I mentioned, if you skipped Aging Up, I mentioned in Aging Up that I actually just wrapped a, a big, cold survival horror section in Ravenloft. And I have some ideas for how to incorporate some of that survival horror, how to kind of bring some of that in and make it scary for your players without necessarily going as bad as we went in the, uh, in the Aging Up section. Because... A real challenge with survival horror can be if you've got a high-level party, then they have a lot of spells and things that can protect them from a lot of your, your basic survival horror scenarios. It can feel kind of daunting to make that scary. You know, suddenly hunger isn't scary anymore if they've got good berry. I don't know if there's an equivalent of indoor elements in 5e mm-hmm. where, like, they don't feel cold, they don't take negative effects from being cold, but that's, you know, a, a thing that can really suddenly your your cold adventures don't feel so bad. There definitely are certain PC builds that Mm -hmm. can be basically fine. So I believe if you're certain types of Genasi, and I know if you're certain types of Dragonborn, Mm -hmm. then you have either immunity or resistance to cold damage. Mm -hmm. And it's very... It's it's not hard at all to get, like, magic items Mm -hmm. that they're not, like, super rarity if it's a ring of endure elements yeah. like that's that's not a rare magic that's mm-hmm. an uncommon magic item yeah so it can it can feel if you've got a, a higher level party or even a, a, a mid-level party it can feel kind of uh, challenging to, to make it's really cold feel scary and daunting and the biggest thing that i found helpful when i was doing this for a seventh level party that had a sassafras and druid in it <laughs> um, was even though they weren't really mechanically affected by anything that was happening, it was constantly making sure to describe how cold it was. How you know, every time they were going anywhere, it's cold. The wind is whipping your hair around your faces. It's blowing the snow and the ice. It's stinging your cheeks. And they're not taking any penalties from the cold. And they're not taking any damage from the, the snow and the, the hail stinging their faces. But these descriptions, really, in you know, the description in the beginning of Dee and her eyelashes freezing together is something you can bring in. Uh, one thing, when I... Um, I mentioned again in Aging Up, if you skipped it, reading some accounts of mountain climbers, one of the things that I read that I loved and brought in was that um, you wake up in your tent and the inside of your tent is lined with frost because when you've been exhaling during the night, the condensation from your breath has been gathering inside the tent and it freezes. And just these descriptions, again, I think the only mechanically bad thing that happened to the PCs because of the environment was somebody fell down a crevasse and took like, 10 damage, mm-hmm. but the constantly describing the cold, constantly bringing in these really creepy details that drove home how cold it was, I think really made you feel like you were against the ropes, even though you weren't. It did. Can confirm. <laughs> <clears throat> Dear listeners, we are both relatively experienced horror GMs. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know this already, I'm going to share, I think, one of the deepest secrets of horror GMing, which is the horror doesn't come from the mechanics. Mm-hmm. A monster that's horrifying, it's not horrifying because it's got a plus 15 to its attack roll and does 38 necrotic psychic damage. Well, that's that's nothing. That's math. The horror comes from the way you describe the situation, from the engaging the narrative, engaging the characters, making them care, and just making present, like Rachel was saying, making present that cold, describing the cold. We can all imagine that. You know, you talk about your your eyelashes are freezing shut, your the, the breath is 
is steaming. The your cheeks are freezing, like you touch them and they're freezing cold and they're numb. Like your beard is full of ice from the, the condensation from your breath. And the players, and I can confirm, like you feel that because you can imagine it. Because we've all been cold. Mm-hmm. We've all had cold mornings. We've all felt cold. So you can evoke that. And that creates that tension, that good horror game tension. Not like, oh, make a con save. <laughs> all right, take 15 cold damage because it's so cold out. Better make, better get some warm. <laughs> You're going to have to make another one in an hour. So It's like in Van Richten's guide. I don't remember the exact monster, but they talked about like the flavor of a monster's attack can make it much more horrifying than mm-hmm. the mechanics. So like, this is a goblin. It is going to do four hit points of damage. But if the attack is that the goblin jumps on you and bites your face, mm-hmm. then that is going to freak out the players a lot more than just saying the goblin hits you for four damage. Yeah. The goblin leaps up and takes a bite out of your face mm-hmm. for four damage. It was a goblin. That's what they do in Riffin. Yeah, they right. Bite your it's face. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so you can do that thing with the cold and the wind, and that can make this, even though it's not necessarily mechanically super challenging, that can make this an incredibly horrifying setting for mm-hmm. your PCs. Then we like to talk about what kind of game is best for this setting. And some of these settings, like Barovia, like Darkon, are you could do a full months and months and months and months and months of play. You could do like dozens and dozens of sessions with multiple plot lines, multiple major NPCs, multiple subplots. Others are one story. You go and you do one story. Uh, what's the theater domain against? Sayana. Sayana, right? It's the, it's the spooky theater. And you get pulled into play, and it's that. Like, that's that episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, where that one thing that you do, and it's great, and it's memorable, but it's that really that one thing. And in this case, I would say we're kind of in the middle. You have the option, as we said, of just doing a one-shot, of just, like, delivering supplies, and just, like, it's cold, it's really cold, there's Elsa, she's all scary now, mm-hmm. now, you've, now you, you fight a snowman, and then you leave. Or... If you want to do a bigger game, then it's basically doing the rescuing on a mission. Mm -hmm. Like, that is sort of the story here if you want to have a significant number of sessions. And there are other things, you know, that we didn't touch on that you could get into if you wanted to also. Because, you know, we mentioned that there are all of these nobles and diplomats and things that are trapped there from uh, from other lands who might be having their infighting and everything. So if you really wanted to dig into the politics, you could do that. We don't even know what other kinds of towns and cities and villages are out there in the cold if you wanted to have a whole thing where you go and there's the one town that's just entirely zombies and you're doing 28 days later you could do that mm-hmm. i feel like this might be the the richest domain for like full campaign possibilities that we've had since lion king because there are a lot of blanks you can fill in here with there only being one city but this very broad horror flavor for you to hang your hat on this is where the genres of horror are useful whatever kind of body horror you want to explore whatever kind of disaster horror story you want to explore, whatever zombie movie you want to explore, Mm -hmm. you can do that. There's the book and the show The Terror Mm -hmm. about this Arctic expedition trapped basically on boats in the the Arctic. And you could do that. You could have these, like, these boats. We see boats frozen in the harbor. But what if there was one that was, like, way out kind of on the edge of the fjord that's trapped there? And you have to do some stuff with that and kind of run the terror. Yeah. So, speaking of nobles and speaking of diplomats mm-hmm. and speaking of PCs coming here from somewhere else, what are some domains this could be connected to? Well, a lot of times we talk about incorporating the domain into the wider Ravenloft world. We talk about back in the older material when there was a core, if you wanted to have a core, where would you put it? 
And I think even if you're playing with a core with a bunch of connected domains, you don't want Arendelle to be easily accessible because then people could easily be bringing supplies in, people could be getting out, their problems are over. Like, unless you want to have a bee that Elsa is more or less permanently closed with borders, then you really don't want it to be a thing where there can just be, you know, regular supply caravans coming in, bringing food in and bringing people out. Unless you want to say that there's some domain that does have like kind of this exclusive connection and just really has them by, uh, by the throat and can make any demands that they want from them. If you if you want it to be that they're kind of like servile to this one domain, then you could do that. That could have some interesting possibilities. But I think probably the better way to go is to have it be more isolated because that really is the brand of horror here. The genre of horror here is relies on the isolation. So if you're bringing in some of the older materials, there are two main things you can do with Arendelle. And one is to have it be part of the Frozen Reaches cluster. In the old stuff, they had the core, but they also had some of the the domains that didn't really fit in with the core, but fit in thematically with each other. They were kind of put them together into a little island floating in the mists. And so, like, they had the domain that basically became Calicari was in a cluster with the domain that was based on the Jungle Book, because that's also in India. And then one of the things that they also had was these two icy domains, uh, Vorostikov and Sanguinia, that were in a, a cluster together, and you could really easily have it be these three icy domains and drop Arendelle right, in there. Right. Also, Vorostikov does have some similarities with Arendelle. It is in an eternal winter. It wasn't always in winter, and now it is. And they don't have any resources or anything, so if Arendelle's right next to Vorostikov, they can't help each other. So that could, if you're kind of doing your icy horror adventure tour, then they could be you know, really closely connected. Another possibility would be to have it be an island in the Nocturnal Sea, which in the older stuff, you know, we still have the Sea of Sorrows in the new stuff, but in the older stuff, it was that the Sea of Sorrows was on the west side and the Nocturnal Sea was on the east side. And the Nocturnal Sea really had a bunch of cold imagery in it. You know, we mentioned the Dark Lord of the Nocturnal Sea is the one who invented snow golems. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> he wanted to build a snowman. He did want to build a snowman. But his island was cold. He wanted to make new golems. Boom, it solved itself. Yeah. And so it could be one of these, like, frozen islands out in the Nocturnal Sea. Um, if you want it to have a little bit more access than being way off in one of these mist islands, and if you want, did want to bring in that idea of maybe one of the domains is slowly trying to open trade relations by which they mean grind them into the dust and make them their servile partner. You could do that. If you wanted to go that route, then, you know, again, you've got kind of the fleet frozen in the harbor. The, the ships are broken and foundered. You could have a thing where Hans is trying to build more ships in order to escape, but Elsa keeps sabotaging it because if too many people leave Arendelle, then she loses her test subjects or they might come back with an army. And so, you know, you could have a thing where that's an additional thing Hans is trying to do is build these ships and get a fleet and get them out of there. So those are, I think, really the main ways that we have to kind of bring it into the older material if you wanted to do that. So that gives you a lot of options. You can run it as its own mist island. You can run it as part of this cluster of a wider Ravenloft. So let's talk about the strengths and challenges of running Frozen. First off, strengths, it's good. And Frozen's <laughs> very popular. People care about these characters. There's a lot of immediate emotional engagement. Arendelle as this kind of wintry setting's pretty well established. It fits the flavor very well. And a lot of the horror comes from that cold, and that's not where something we're really adding. Mm -hmm. We're just taking kind of 
the middle of Frozen 1 and just saying that for five years. <laughs> and because a lot of that horror comes from the cold and from the weather and from the winter, looking over all of this and planning for this episode, like, this is a good horror setting. There are a lot of horror stories based on winter, on cold, on snow, on mm -hmm. isolation. I mean, The Thing is one of the great horror movies, and part of what makes it so powerful is the setting. Mm -hmm. And you've got plenty of others where they're really playing up that snowbound, The Shining. You've got mm, snowbound yeah. isolation. And there isn't really a, like, big A-tier mm -mm. Ravenloft canon domain that, that hits that type of horror, that flavor of horror. And so this could be that. It could be Arendelle. And... This is also something where the world of Arendelle, there is this sense of this bigger world of magic, the idea of a bunch of heavily armed, sorcery-wielding transients, like, coming into this setting, that, that kind of fits. You could mm -hmm. believe that. You could have just a group of, like, a dude in armor, somebody with a glowing staff, somebody who's, who likes to pick people's pockets, just a little, like, band of adventurers coming into Arendelle in the middle of Frozen 1 and, like, trying to do something does feel it fits the flavor of that setting. Yeah, everybody knows magic exists. Everybody knows trolls exist. Like, when, when Anna meets the trolls, she's not like, my gosh, trolls are real? She's like, oh, cool, your family's trolls. So I think there's a lot of pluses here. Mm -hmm. But what about some of the challenges? Well, some of the challenges, you know, as we've talked about a lot, Elsa is the logical Dark Lord. She's a, she makes a much better Dark Lord than Hans because Hans is just so lacking in pathos and so lacking in you know, a lot of his motivation is really missing because they wanted oh, yeah. to make him be such a surprise. So he really does not work as a good meaty Dark Lord. Elsa's the one who does, but... Elsa's great. And, you know, we, we love Elsa. And it really, you know, her, her redemption is wonderful and it, it really stinks to have to, you know, scuttle all of that. I remember the December after Frozen came out, <laughs> we went to this big mall and every single store had some kind of Frozen product. Mm -hmm. And every single store had some kind of, like, either poster or cardboard standee or something of Elsa. Yeah. I was like, if there was, like, an apocalypse right now, an archaeologist from the future excavated this mall, they would assume that our civilization worshipped a white-haired winter goddess. Yeah, like, you know, Foot Locker had its yeah. kids' shoes of Elsa. Yeah, yeah. All, every single store had some display of their frozen thing for the Christmas season. Yeah. So, it's a very popular, very beloved character, and we are making her a monster. Yeah, because the actual monster has no interiority. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's also, you know, in terms of her being a really great, meaty Dark Lord, in order to make her really active Dark Lord, because, you know, the Dark Powers, they don't want you to just sit around and turtle. They got bored with soft. Yeah, that's how you then. get soft. You want yep. softs. That's how you get softs. <laughs> Aslan, that's how you get out, you turtle. <laughs> Free tip. So, you know, she just wants to be left alone. And so we really had to make her a monster in yeah. order to have her be more active. Like, the ice zombie thing is, like, she, I like to think it's not completely out of character, but it's really stretching mm -hmm. it. Because we needed to give her a thing she was doing. Like, mm -hmm. a plan. A proactive, like, attack on the people of Arendelle. Not just, if they left her alone, everything would be fine. Yeah. And then the 
other problem with it is that the setting is so bleak. <laughs> it sure is. Just the the cold and the survival and that everyone is horrible because they've got the icy hearts and just it it is a really bleak setting and just you know again I, I mentioned with the kind of campaign that you can do that this is a really rich setting. You could play a lot of sessions here, but I don't think I would want to play a lot of yeah. sessions here. It's too depressing. So you in order to make it more fun and more gameable and more a place where you want to spend a lot of time, you'd also have to make it less horrifying. So kind of on your on your scale of horror gaming, you would have to decide where you wanted that needle point. But maybe you want the most horrible bleak thing possible, in which case you're welcome. <laughs> you're like, I just want a Disney movie that is also horrible. You're welcome. So before we join our narrator and find out where she's going next, if you do end up using one of these variants, we'd love to hear which one, and we'd love to hear how much your party was upset by this depiction of Elsa. <laughs> so how could they share that with us, Rachel? <laughs> well, if you want to yell at us because yeah. you love Elsa, we understand. And you can do that by emailing us at wonderfulworldofdarklords at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Wonderful World of Dark Lords. And on Twitter, Wonderful World of Dark Lords is too long. Wonderful Dark Lords is also too long. So you can find us there at Wonder Dark Lords. Twitter is a great place to yell at us. So <laughs> It's a great place to yell at everyone. Please be our guest. And if you like how we adapted it, and you're like, wow, they made a good horror setting out of Frozen, which I like to think we did. We definitely made a horror setting out of Frozen. Yeah. And you also perked up a little when I said the thing. And you're like, oh boy, the thing. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. I have done a couple of taking horror movies, mostly John Carpenter, but not exclusively John Carpenter, and adapting them into D&D adventures. And some are specifically for Curse of Strahd. Some are setting neutral. If you go to the DMs Guild write-up for this domain in the show notes and just look for more by this author, you'll see them. Or if you search Tom Kohler on DMs Guild. And we also, if you really liked our kid gloving it with the kids if you're like wow they they really like thought through how how bad this would be for kids like making this a set this bleak horrible thing a setting their kids would actually have fun and we have also together come up with a couple kids horror gaming resources stuff to help you run spooky halloweeny but not traumatizing games for little players and then speaking of spooky Halloween and not traumatizing, I have a picture book. It's called Mother Ghost Nursery Rhymes for Little Monsters. It's exactly what it sounds like. 13 nursery rhymes were written to be about Halloween. It's available at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, your local independent bookstore. That big book and everything else conglomerate named after a river in South America, which it, it, their, their prices are lower, I get it. But please support your local bookstore if you can. And Don't have a frozen heart. <laughs> And then Hans shops there. He does. He does. Yeah, right. And then Hans probably founded it. <laughs> you can also go to my website, www.rachelkohler.com, uh, K-O-L-A-R, like polar, appropriately enough, but with a K. And there you can find links to the short stories that I've written for adults, which are usually somewhere along the dark fantasy to horror comedy spectrum. You, like, get our vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, until next month, dear listener, thank you for listening, and happy gaming. Parting thoughts. I gave as many of my supplies as I could to the few Arendellians who had helped me before leaving, knowing they would consume them as quickly as possible before King Hans caught them and made an example of them for hoarding. Unless the Fearbulgs share their far more bountiful resources with the humans, I can see no happy ending for them, and given their greed born of desperation, I can hardly blame the Fearbulgs for not doing so. 
The only other hope would be killing or thawing the heart of Queen Elsa, and I do not know which of those would be less impossible. I had to make a stop in the blessed warmth of Darkon before continuing on my way to the next domain in my itinerary, as it can only be accessed by sea, and Arendelle's ports are locked in ice. I once again found myself chartering a ship, but this one was a skiff small enough for me to pilot myself. Holding a piece of aid as a mist talisman, I prepared to take the helm and chart my own course, taking comfort in the fact that despite the deadly cold of Arendelle and its mistress, I am still here. Regards, D. These lands ensure that the denizens within shall never obtain what they truly desire. Be it the thirteenth son who desires to rule his own kingdom, only to be granted dominion over a frozen tundra with vanishing resources, or a sibling who can only grant false life to her beloved sister. Pity that Queen Elsa's powers do not create true life as was rumored, but merely what many referred to as mockeries of life. Golems and zombies are poor substitutes for true resurrection. Can one truly be held responsible for actions performed in grief for the loss of one's family can break even the coldest of hearts? One wonders what my little servant would have done if her dear brother's sacrifice had not been prevented. Would she toil on with her grief or be consumed by it with the guilt of the circumstances that led to his death gnaw at your consciousness? One can only speculate in your case, but the Queen of Arendelle shall continue her experimentation in vain for what other choice does she have? Even a fraction of a moment in which she may succeed could bring her back her sister and quell her despair. This has been The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. We have no affiliation with Disney or Wizards of the Coast. All music recordings used in this episode are in the public domain and were obtained through museopen.org. Titles and links are in the show notes. Dialogue for Yensid was written by Azalyn Rex himself, who you can follow on Twitter at DarkLordAzalyn. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords logo was designed by Haylight Jones. You can find links to their work in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Where our this is our EU diversion. This is our AU diversion. <laughs> Aaron Dell started using yes. the euro. <laughs> yes, no, they split off. They erects it. <laughs>